Welcome to Dream Gardens, where we talk up the children's books we love. My name is Jody Lima, and on this twice-monthly podcast, hosted on the first and third Monday of each month, I interview other kids' books enthusiasts about their own favorite children's books. Today I'm going to be interviewing Jessica Meserve. Uh, Jessica is author and illustrator of the picture book Beyond the Burrow, and we're going to be talking about that book as well as her own favorite book, the picture book Bread and Jam for Francis, which was written and illustrated by Russell Hoban. But before we get to all that, I want to let you know once again, if you're interested in participating in the Dream Gardens podcast, please send me a request through my contact page at jleemott.com. You can also go on there to check out all the other Dream Gardens podcasts. Or if you want to know more about my own work as an author, you can go to my author website at jodylemott.com. And finally, if you like what you hear today, please link, share, comment, write a review, or subscribe. Please let me know what you think. My guest today is Jessica Meserve. Jessica is author and illustrator of the picture book, What Clara Saw, as well as her latest book, Beyond the Burrow, which came out in 2021. You can find more information about Jessica at www.jessicameserve.com. Uh, thank you for joining me today, Jessica. Thank you so much for having me on. It's really, really nice to be here. As I, I mentioned, your your latest book that you wrote and illustrated is called Beyond the Burrow, and I did have a chance to read it, and I really enjoyed it. Uh, for those who haven't had a chance to pick up their own copy, can you talk a little bit of uh, what it's what it's about? Yes, it's um, it's a story about a group of rabbits that um, live on a sunny hilltop in a in a burrow, and the story focuses on one um, little rabbit in particular, a little girl, and we see her. Um, looking out over the top of the hill at the beginning of the book. And um, she lives very happily with her her relatives and friends in this kind of warm, cosy burrow where they feel safe and they practice their rabbity things like digging and hopping and eating carrots. And everything is sort of going smoothly until um, one day this one little rabbit decides that she wants to eat one of the carrots that's just beyond the burrow and the the burrow is sort of indicated by these signs so it's quite fun it says stop beyond the burrow so don't go any further and you see her reach her little paw just past it and she tries to get this delicious looking carrot and then she can't quite reach it so she puts another paw forward and then still can't quite reach it but she eventually does and she's pulling and yanking and what um, the little rabbit doesn't know, but we as the reader can see, is that there's two little mice yanking on the other side. And all of a sudden they let go and the little rabbit goes tumbling very far beyond the burrow. And it all ends in, well, it, it starts with a little bit of disaster. The book doesn't end that way, but she ends up falling down the wrong hole. It's quite um, comedic. I hope it's quite comedic. And she ends up very quickly tumbling down this sort of crevice in the earth it's not another warren she rolls down through a cave and then she plunges out the cave into a river and then floats down down river on a log and ends up very far from what she knows and what feels warm and safe and cozy and at first she tries to hold on to her rabbitiness and, and all the things she knows and that keeps her safe and comfortable like hopping and and hiding and digging 
but those things don't help her in the situation she finds herself in. And she has to step out of her comfort zone in order to get herself out of the situation that she's in. And um, she also has to learn to trust um, other creatures that aren't like herself because these rabbits, because, you know, rabbits we all know are fluffy and vulnerable. So they do, they do do a lot of hiding and they're quite concerned about any other creatures that are, you know, hairy or scary with claws and teeth and, and four legs and things like that. So she has to, um, yeah, she has to step out of her comfort zone. So that's what it's about. And I won't I'll give too much more away. I'll give a bit more away later when I read a piece out. But so that's kind of the premise. What was the inspiration for book? Where did this story idea come from? So I have, I keep a sketchbook. I keep lots of sketchbooks, ones for like drawing and others for sort of just ideas that I'm thinking about. And I started drawing just little scribbles, little thumbnail scribbles about kind of juxtaposition, about about contrast. And it started out with the drawing of a little chick being sort of watched by a cat and a fox and a dog, and they're looking quite menacing. And so there's this, you know, you kind of, imagine what's going to happen next and you can't imagine that it's going to be a very good thing for the little chick but then I did another it's like the, like the page turn I did another image that was a sequential image to come afterwards and instead of you know these animals attacking the chick they stack themselves one on top of the other with a little chick on top and try and help the little chick get back into its um, nest with the mother and so I, I started playing the idea of that contradiction of what what you think is going to happen because we all have expectations of what might happen or preconceptions of what might happen and I just like the sort of comedy of that but also the drama of that and the fun of it and so it started with and I did a few of those images all about different things polar bears and polar bears and arctic foxes and kittens and and lions and things like that and then um, I just think I think visually and I was thinking of something vulnerable and the rabbit just came to mind and just the fun of, of the rabbit falling down the wrong hole. And then it really did come from, from that point. And I started storyboarding lots of ideas, um, just drawing without really thinking too much about what would happen. Sometimes I draw my way into an idea because um, it sort of opens me up a bit. And now I know uh, you said on your author page that you particularly enjoy like drawing animals and scenes in nature. And I'm just wondering, what is the particular appeal of um, drawing things like that for you? For me, I I think because um, I love spending time outside. I think it's my happiest place. I'm lucky that my children now love to be outside almost more than anything else. So that is part of it. I've lived in the I've lived in the States and I've lived in with the lovely landscapes of Maine and I've lived in the Yorkshire Dales where my parents live um, in the north of England where there's beautiful moorland and and I was lucky enough to live in Canada and we spent you know I've spent a lot of time walking and swimming outside and and yes picnicking and so I think I'm just very attracted to to landscape um yeah I really love drawing animals because they're so quirky and they have characters and they can they take away they obviously they have their own stereotypes because we have preconceptions of what we think animals are as I've just described but then um it allows us to play with what um, children are feeling through through animals in a way and it um it kind of it uh, can remove a step I guess and allow children to read the story 
and sometimes if it's too close to us it's wonderful to see ourselves reflected back at ourselves but sometimes it's also lovely to have sort of one step removed so then we can almost see it more clearly like we can always see other people's problems more clearly than we can our own. Now, I'm always curious when I have somebody on who both um, uh, writes and illustrates their own books, uh, the, the process they use, you know, in terms of um, creating the story, the text and the and the illustrating. Is it done in conjunction or is one done first then the other the sort of back and forth? What is your own particular uh, process that you use? So I have found that I definitely in the beginning, I draw and write at the same time. I think it's because perhaps the drawing comes easier to me. And so it relaxes me. I quite often kind of just, I don't put anything with sort of words on, but I quite often listen to classical music or something like that. And I just sort of relax. And then I just, I feel quite free when I draw. And I'll just literally draw tiny little thumbnails. They're really, they're really sort of rough stick men, stick rabbits, you know. And then I slowly start to sort of add words in and then I definitely do them simultaneously because the the lovely thing about illustrating and writing is the way you can make them work together and marry them together because you, you know what you can put in the picture and you know what you can put in the writing and you don't have to repeat that because obviously in, in pictures encapsulate so much that you can then be quite, uh, you can be quite succinct with your words because you're you're commenting or co- or um, contrasting with what's being seen in a picture, and because I rely so much on those two working together, um, I, I definitely do them at the same time. Having said that, I do think there is a point where you get towards the the end, of, not the end. I don't mean just before it's published, but before you say get it ready to send off to an agent or a publisher that you should look at them separately because you can get quite clouded because you get so close to the book and, and, and what you're seeing. If I suddenly take out all the illustrations or all the thumbnails and just look at my writing, you can start to see whether the, the story arc is clear enough, whether it can, obviously because a lot of children are, um, or it's being read to them. Of course, they're looking. They're looking at the pictures, but you also want the 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 writing to sing alongside it on its own. And then I'll look at the pictures on their own and make sure that they're working as a second story. Because certainly, with picture books, a lot of the the young readers who are are exposed to it, they might not be reading themselves yet. And I always think it's really lovely for young children to be able to read a story themselves. They don't feel inhibited by not reading the words because they're included in the book by reading the pictures as well. And they might find things within the pictures that aren't in the text, a bit like the mice um, pulling on the carrot. You know, that's not in the that's not in the text. That's just in the images. So if there is a young child seeing that, they might feel quite excited by understanding what's going on. They understand more than the rabbit does. And that's that's quite lovely thing especially if if reading is difficult or they're not even beginning to read yet you know you feel empowered if you can read part of the book without any of the words they can sort of find the thing that uh, that interests and works for them or that they that uh, appeals or makes sense to them yeah yeah i think so is there part of the book that you can share with us Yes, I'd really like to share um, the part where, so I described, you know, the premise of the book, that this little rabbit ends up 
a long way from the burrow. And she sort of, uh, she's she's floated down the river until the, the log that she's been floating on sort of finally comes to a stop. And so much has gone wrong. So many things have gone wrong. And she thinks, well, at least I haven't met anything that is not a rabbit, she thought. But then she did. And this not rabbit looked giant and clawed and hairy and most certainly scary. But rabbit didn't wait to find out if it really was. And in the picture, we can see the rabbit turning round and seeing this crazy looking animal, which is an anteater, staring back at her. She did the only rabbity thing she could do. She hopped and she dug and she hid. This was not at all like home. It was cold and damp and frightening. Rabbit's paws ached and soon her tummy started rumbling. What if the knot rabbit is hungry too, she thought. What if it eats me for breakfast? But it didn't. In fact, it left something behind. It was a knot carrot. Rabbit was very suspicious, but she was also very, very hungry. She took one nibble. It was the most delicious thing she had ever tasted. Then Rabbit had a very new and very bold thought. Maybe not rabbits and not carrots are okay after all. But how could she find out for sure? Just then, she heard strange sounds coming from above. Rabbits are not usually brave and they don't usually climb. But it had been a non-rabbity kind of day. So up Rabbit went. And that's where I'll stop. I like the idea of uh, not rabbits and not carrots as a way to your, your perception of the world. Yeah, yes, because it's, it's, and for young children as well, things are so different, aren't they, and strange, and even pebbles and all sorts of things seem strange and wonderful to them. So I, I quite like how they describe, you know, children quite often describe things as, as teddy or not teddy or, you know an apple or not an apple, you know, and they don't know what it is, you know, and they're learning vocabulary and their, their world is growing. Um, my uh, youngest, she, she was very excited. She learned the word ant. And then we soon realised that she thought every animal was an ant. So when we went to the zoo, she was pointing at the giraffe and the lion and going, ant, ant, so excited. <laughs> you know, so then she was, you know, she'd be the sort of a child who would say, not an ant. So, yeah, I quite like that. Are there uh, other things that you're working on as well? Yes, um, I'm working on. Uh, I'm working on a little. Uh, I'm hoping it'll be a series one day, but it's a, just a one-off picture book at the moment, and um, it's based on um, sort of things that have happened in my childhood and my two children's. I, I uh, children, I kept a little notebook of sort of funny things they said, and and so I kind of uh, trying to create a little character, and it's it's humorous and she talks in the first person about her life so um, I'm really really enjoying working on that and um, I've been uh, lucky enough to have just finished a book by uh, the author and illustrator Pat Hutchins who is very well known um, to some with um, like her picture book Rosie's Walk um, which I think was published in the 1960s and um it's been in print ever since, and uh, she uh, sadly died in 2017, but she had a book called 
called uh, Lucy and the Paper Pirates, which was yet to be illustrated. And I was very lucky to be given the chance to illustrate it uh, for, for them. And it's a black and white book and it's uh, coming out in May. And I'm really excited. It's published by Hachette and I'm really excited about that coming up. It's been a really lovely project to work on. It's about a little girl who um, she cuts out characters from a, a comic comic book and she puts them in a biscuit barrel that she was given by her grandmother and she opens it up at night just before she's going to bed and they all come alive have create havoc on her duvet on her bedspread and um yes has lots of fun and antics so that has been nice i wonder is it is it a different process that you go when you have um when you're illustrating somebody else's text as opposed to the text that you create yourself or is it pretty much the same idea um, it is it is different. Um, it's really nice. I really enjoy it, actually, because I think it's lovely creating the whole thing. But then I think when you're drawing someone else's, you're trying to bring it, bring it alive in your own way. And um, and then I feel like I focus on I focus on trying to create movement through the writing that appears and you're interpreting their characters that you, you didn't create. So you've, and in some ways it's more free because they've given you, they've given you a lot of the work and then you can kind of open it up further. Sometimes too much freedom is kind of closes you down like a blank piece of paper can be quite daunting. And so when you've already got so much written, on, on that piece of paper it, it's it's quite fun and quite liberating and, and, and a nice process yeah it's really I really enjoy it now the the book you um picked as your own particular favorite children's book is also another picture book uh, it's called uh, bread and jam for francis it was um by russell hoban and this was published in 1964 uh for readers who are unfamiliar with this and uh, before you picked it i i had not read this book myself can you talk a little bit of uh, what this book is and what it's about so this book feels like it was written about me um i think that's why i had to pick it as my favorite books about um, this particular one, she's actually a character that appears in several books, but she is, um, she's a little badger, a little girl, and she, this particular book is about how she's struggling with mealtimes and struggling with food and only wanting to eat bread and jam. And I, that appealed to me very much because I was exactly uh, a child who really, really struggled with mealtimes. And I think... Uh, a lot of parents can sometimes think it's a, a power struggle or there's something going on, you know, because all parents want um, their children to be well nourished and for them to eat well. And, you know, if we feel like we're failing in that, we feel like we're failing as a parent. So, but I remember very clearly that it wasn't anything to do with anyone. I just found meals overwhelming, the texture and the taste. I, I like some food a lot, but I, I couldn't. I, I just couldn't manage mealtimes and so it was so lovely for me it's one of my first books that you know I saw my I, you know as I said earlier saw myself reflected back at me in a very gentle way that really helped me work through my own feelings about mealtimes um so for that reason it, I, I, and it's so funny and so sweet um and she she in her through her voice in the book she managed to exactly encapsulate how I felt and then the other reason it's still a favorite book is because um as uh, a parent, it's helped me because I because I, I loved it as a child. I my I introduced it to my children, but I actually only 
introduced it to my eldest daughter when she was really young when she too really struggled with with food and I, I again I didn't want to make it a, a power a sort of fight between us and um I think what happens in the book allowed me to find a way through with her um which I which I loved so and then they absolutely adored the book as well so it's it's come with me it's come with me all the way through my life and then also as an author and illustrator I think there's um qualities in the book that I would like to get into my own books and that's a kind of respect of the young the very young mind and the problems and the worries they have it's very yes it's very in a way it's very respectful it doesn't laugh at her it um it shows that giving children the, the space to work things out works really well so I'll explain that that um uh, this little girl Frances this little badger she keeps looking down at the meals that each of the book kind of follows the kind of natural rhythm of mealtimes throughout several days. And she sort of just doesn't want to eat the food in front of her. She only wants to eat bread and jam. And there's some, I guess there could be some pressure because her siblings eating the food, her father's saying what wonderful food it is and how she should, they all should enjoy it. And she just, she just can't, but the parents don't force her or make ultimatums. They just accept how she's feeling about it and they eventually just start giving her bread and jam for each of her meals and by doing and they don't do it in a in a way that again that's not judgeful judgy that they don't say oh well that's all you want to eat they just do it as a very gentle sweet thing like well you enjoy it so carry on enjoying it and I think it gives um, Francis that space when they start doing that for her that gives her that space to kind of decide how she feels about food and how she does want to be included within the family and she does want to try things and yes that space that her parents give her through their parenting helps her find a way through and um, so it became a it became sort of a favorite picture book throughout you know good many years of my life so yeah that's why I chose it. I know when I was reading it what was particularly appealing about Frances or a way we got to know her as a character was through these various songs that she sings about um, what she's eating usually or what she doesn't want to eat. And I thought they were, they're, they're kind of funny and silly, but also told, told us a lot about her. Yes, I, they're one of my favorite parts of the book. It's almost like they're little, like a little mini musical, aren't they? they they're kind of little songs that punctuate her life and draw your attention to to how she's feeling inside and they're you know they're quite they're, they are funny but they're quite uh well well sort of crafted in a way but they keep their sort of quintessential child childish essence and uh yes I, I really love them I can I don't know if you want me to read um a couple of them out for those people listening but oh sure absolutely absolutely so this is at the I'll read three of them I think so um at the beginning of the book she's faced with a, a boiled egg and she's not sure she wants to eat it. And her father is saying, well, there's lots of ways to have eggs. And Francis sings a little song. Says Francis sang a little song to it. She sang song very softly. I do not like the way you slide. I do not like your soft inside. I do not like you lots of ways. And I could do for many days without eggs. Francis spread jam on another slice of bread. So they're having a veal cut. Um, it's a nice dish, said Mother. Eat up your stream bean, Gloria. Francis looked at her plate and sang, What do cutlets wear before they're breaded? 
a flannel nightgown, cowboy boots, furry jackets, sailor suits, which I love that one. <laughs> and this is a very really short one at the very end, but um, the Frances slowly, as she's given more and more jam, bread and jam for breakfast, lunch, dinner and snacks, she sort of, she, her poems get less exuberant and slightly shorter and her skipping gets slower. She loves skipping and her skipping gets slower whilst she sings them. Jam for snacks and jam for meals. I know how a jam jar feels full of jam. And um, yes, she, she eventually says to her parents, I'd really like to try what you're having, having for, for dinner. And she does. And what I really love as well at the end, like she sort of has a turnaround and decides that she, she does want to join in with these family meals because, you know, it's a social, it's a social thing. So it's not just about, you know, eating the things that you need to get through the day, but it's this social, lovely family time where it can be. But what I like at the end is that the next day for her pat lunch, um, her mother doesn't sort of make, you know, a simple cheese sandwich and, you know, a, 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 an apple that you think, well, she's only just come around to eating. She actually makes this absolutely um, wonderful lunch of a lobster salad sandwich and vanilla vanilla custard and cherries and plums. And um, it's, it's this lovely, fantastic lunch. And it actually affected the way I made uh, pet lunches for my kids. And I would get lots of little pots and put lots of lovely different things in them. Uh, so they would be surprised every time and it was fun to open them. But yes, that's what I like. But after the, after the parents give, give Frances this space to kind of find out how she feels about it, once the kind of pressure has been removed, she's, she's open to kind of actually thinking what she wants to do. And then, of course, you know, it's this, her mother then gives her all these wonderful tastes to explore. She's not careful and, and uh, yeah, she sort of opens Frances' world up even more. And um, I, I really like that because sometimes if you get, labelled as something it can close your world down a little bit you know I, I sort of forgot to mention about Beyond the Burrow that I was quite a shy little girl who, who was scared of trying new things and you know Francis is, is, is scared maybe of trying new foods and my rabbit is scared of, of trying you know doing different activities and, and meeting other creatures and sometimes children can get very upset, you know, cry and, or have a tantrum. And, you know, parents don't want that to happen. So often, they'll, you know, that well, you know, my parents were lovely and they, they, you know, they didn't make me do things that scared me. But I do sometimes feel that, that the feeling of once the kind of fear is gone, sometimes you can be left with a feeling of regret and disappointment. And those feelings can sometimes last longer than the initial fear of something or dislike of something and again if you if you give children a space sometimes they can they can come come back to it and have another go and if you are an introvert then you don't want your world to get narrower and narrower narrower and narrower you want these opportunities to to maybe come back into it because you know no matter what kind of personality you have you want to you know explore what a wonderful world whether it's the landscape or the variety of foods there are in the world and um yes you want your world to open up in front of you and um, sometimes it takes some of us a little bit longer to get there than others you mentioned earlier too about uh, the the illustrations of this book um appealed to you as well and i'm just wondering what is it about um how the illustrations help to 
tell the story that you find particularly engaging or what what does the what does Russell Hoban do that um, I guess is unusual or just seems to work very well I, I think as a whole it's interesting actually because I would say that if I saw the illustrations you know in the current sort of time as a as a illustrator that's working for a long time I'm not sure I would sort of pick them out above other things but I think what works so well obviously this book was published quite a while ago and it's it's actually you know it's printed in it's 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 of a different time but I think they're so they work so well with the text because they're so gentle and homely and it's it the story and the pictures aren't about anything out of the ordinary and yet he finds a way of writing that even the most sort of mundane things like eating breakfast not mundane but the kind of things that we do every day that you might not think could be so rich for a child in terms of that they struggle with it or they enjoy it but these tiny moments can be quite rich with feeling and, and emotion teaches a lot of things so I, I think in their quietness and their their feeling of home they that's what certainly I think probably appealed to me as a child and then has appealed to me as a, as a parent as illustrator that they work so nicely together as um a, yeah they complement one another in a way in a very simple way and I think the the writing is so nuanced in a way that you really believe Francis as being this whole character I believe that uh, Russell Hoban really uh, embodied her, you know, knew what she would sing about and how she would feel, what she would, how she'd feel about sunny side up eggs and sunny side down eggs. And yeah, for me, it's just the whole package works really well. But, but yeah, so the illustrations themselves, I think just on their own, uh, like I said, in the, in now when you see the sort of vast richness of things, I'm not sure they would stand out themselves, but together. And that's what picture books are. It's about how they work together. Hope that made sense. <laughs> oh yes, absolutely. I was just thinking too, um, uh, like in this book and your book, uh, your book as well. Uh, a lot of picture books uh, using animals as characters, like here, it's badgers. You might say they didn't have to be badgers, and yet somehow it seems important. And, and it's interesting with most of these books. Um, I think most children, you know, uh, they don't have to have explained to them that these, you know. You know, badgers don't actually. You know, they just accept that. You know, these are badgers, and uh, and 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 they adults would want you know the reason for that and things like that. But most children say, "Oh yes, they're badgers, and uh, this is how they're living their life right now." And I think it's because children live in this um, amazingly imaginative world all the time, or often they do, especially when they're younger. You know, a lot of um, children have cuddly toys, they're called cuddly toys, or stuffed animals in the states. You know, these you know often animals and um, they do a lot of role playing and role play with with their toys is really important as well you know certainly I can't remember as much myself but certainly my children would come home and create scenes using all their toys my daughter both of them did but they had this sort of box of toys that they would get out um, and they would create scenes they my favorite one that my eldest did was she actually got out all her toys and she put um diapers like on their heads and I came in and she lined them all up in a row and they all had names and she was enacting it it was actually a swimming class the reason they had um the reason they had these diapers on on their heads was because she was had swimming caps because when she went to swimming 
classes. They all had to wear coloured swimming caps to identify them in the water. So, and then they would do... Um, they would do school, you know, they would play school and they would line them all up and sit them all on chairs. So I think children are very used to, yes, role-playing their lives through animals. So it seems quite right that when they read books that they then can see animals role-playing the world back back to them. So I think it goes both ways. I also think it probably would help a lot of adults to read picture books now and then. I think <laughs> a lot uh, out of them, not just to their kids, but uh, for themselves as well. I think it's important because, you know, a lot of books are read hundreds of times and you both have to um, get enjoyment from it. And the, the, the book that I mentioned that I'm writing um, that I hope to, to get out soon is it's a, it's a story about seeing both sides of a day, you know, the, the grown-up side and the child side, because it's all too easy to see how, you know, say, for example, it's a bad day. It's all too easy to kind of remember how it is for us and not the other person. And it's, it's um, very difficult for young children to, 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 to see that, you know, to see the impact of, say, waking their parents up five times in the night or, you know, or, or it's very difficult for a parent to understand that if a, a, a toddler or a young child comes home really, really, really grumpy, that they might just have had not such a great day but they might not have the the um the vocabulary to art, art, understanding to articulate it so I quite like stories that you know yes gives parents perspective on their their child and and the child perspective on their parents or their, their grown-up or their carer yeah so it's important everybody enjoys them uh, well uh, Jessica uh, thank you so much uh, for taking the time to talk to me both about your own book, uh, Beyond the Borough, and those things you're working on as well, and for uh, introducing me to Bread and Jam for Francis, which I hadn't read, and for talking to me about it today. Oh, thank you very much. It's been really fun. Really nice to, to meet you, even over the, over the, uh, the pond. <laughs> you can find more information about Jessica at www.jessicameserve.com. Thank you for joining me on Dream Gardens. The theme music, titled All Together, is provided courtesy of Purple Planet Music. You can visit them at www.purpleplanet.com. Podcast cover art was created through Canva, which can be found at www.canva.com. You can find the Dream Gardens podcast website at jleemott.com and my author website at jodyleemott.com. You can also follow me on Twitter at dreamgardensjlm. The Dream Gardens podcast is available through iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you like what you hear, please comment, share, or subscribe. And until next time, keep dreaming, keep growing, and keep reading. Keep reading.